Hi everyone, welcome back to a brand new episode of the Math Therapy Sessions podcast. Our guest for today is Dr. Adil Chagla. Dr. Chagla is currently the professor and head of department neurosurgery at GS Medical College and KM Hospital Mumbai. It is one of the most prestigious departments in the medical field in the country. Dr. Chagla is also the only professor to represent the country in the World Cup and certainly the only neurosurgeon in the world to represent his country in a World Cup a feat repeated twice in 2020 Cape Town South Africa and 2022 Queensland Australia. The audio podcast is available on Spotify and Anchor. The links to that are in the description down below. Drop a like if you like this video and consider subscribing if you end up loving it and also don't forget to comment down below your thoughts on the podcast. till then enjoy the episode so dr chagla why did you choose to become a neurosurgeon well when i was barely 15 years old okay i was in the bedroom we had my dad wasn't keeping too well he wasn't feeling well so he said he'd like to lie down so he went to his room and uh, it was about 9 or 10 i still remember it as if it was yesterday and suddenly threw into a fit he had a seizure at that time i didn't know the spelling of the word seizure and he continued to have these jerky movements of various parts of the body and his eyes were rolling upwards and i couldn't make out and i shouted mama and you know we all came and held him my sister was by my side my mother was holding his hand and thankfully he was lying down so we didn't really need to do much more mm. and in a couple of i would say maybe a couple of minutes uh, it eased out and we just thought that we should be comforting him and uh, my mom was then frantically dialing the doctor and the hospital and we to take him in to, to the hospital right in those years we had no ct scan mri of course it was just not there mm. and uh, we had very little in terms of treatment for something that was in the head right and uh, ever since that and then we realized that he had uh, cancer also in the brain but it started from the stomach so it not really stomach stomach now we know that it's the large intestine so he had a cancer of the large intestines or the bowels and then that had spread to the brain and uh, we, i lost him in about a few months 8 months in fact which was quite a struggle it uh, made me more determined that i'll become a brain surgeon mm. that's the reason why i took up this it's like a complete back story you have uh, which made you you know give you a push towards neurosurgery right i mean just imagine you're barely 15 years old you, right i had plans to play test cricket for india i had plans to probably become an architect or a pilot because i liked uh, speed i liked cars i liked planes i right. liked uh, art i liked lots of uh, outdoor stuff and then to be cooped up in the four walls of the operating room every day of your life that was quite a a jolt when you are just so young right and uh, that's made me more focused it just helped me to remain as stable and as balanced and as focused as i possibly could all these years to make me a neurosurgeon today so how has been your journey so far you know learning and experiencing neurosurgery i've been born and brought up if you listen to a lot of my friends who have shared uh, times together through 
thick and thin. They've seen me more on the cricket field than they've seen me uh, behind books and libraries and attending class. And uh, they would tell me because they thought that I stayed in an area which was more affluent. Mm. Little did they know that I had to really fight through and continue to live in that in that surrounding because we didn't want to let my parents down and you know try and move out from that same locality just because I didn't have a father and it became quite tough that we had to do with whatever little resources we had which actually drives you to a point that you want to succeed not only you want to succeed you want to do well right and you don't want to be dependent on anyone so i think with that in mind uh, things fell into place with the grace of god and i am what i am today so what was the best thing you uh, experienced while becoming a neurosurgeon yeah it's uh, see let me tell you i remember when i finished my mbbs right and uh, i got selected to play for a team that was to tour australia so i was barely 24 years old i just finished my mbbs and i had to go to play, represent uh, bombay jimkhana to australia and i played the first match i got some runs hmm. i remember we were supposed to play mcdermott but thankfully got picked and being an opening batsman you generally face the music so after the game was over we had a party and gradually when people realized that i'm going to be a neurosurgeon the entire younger crowd moved off and i was with all the senior blokes in the party and i was wondering why i was along with all the youngsters <laughs> it's just that you get a little more serious your life tends to pan out into a very serious focus and everyone wants to see what you can achieve and what you can do as a neurosurgeon everyone has this aura about a neurosurgeon and also when you're dealing with your patients they put you on a pedestal because right. you're a neurosurgeon so life definitely for any neurosurgeon is different different from most specialties even in medicine and uh, i think the important thing is to do a great job because neurosurgery and the branch is a very unforgiving branch mm. there are no mistakes allowed and uh, if you look at the parallel of cricket when i bat if you make one mistake you go back to the pavilion and if you're an opening batsman you twiddle your thumbs till the entire team gets out so you probably wasted your day so it just puts that same focus and that same resolve into your brain that you have to do well so when you say you can't afford to have mistakes according to you what are the skills needed to master neurosurgery i think the first and most important skill in any specialty is humility humility and that will when you realize that you have to understand that to get to the top to understand to get to where you are there's a lot of hard work a lot of focus dedication application attitude resolve and of course education you have to learn but along with all these things you also need a good mentor you need a good surrounding you need right. a good a good environment so many factors do come into play to become a good neurosurgeon but that humility is the one that actually shows you the way and that also translate to this great game that i play cricket because unless you bend down like you say you stoop and give respect to the bowler he's going to get you out mm. so you have to you know play head down as we call it in our school days 
you have to literally bend your back and make sure that the ball doesn't get through the bat and pad. So your defense is the first thing that you learn when you play cricket. And uh, which is exactly what neurosurgery is. First to be safe mm. and then to take that matter ahead and make sure that you deliver what the patient expects of you, what the tumor is and how you set about healing your patient or curing your patient. Since you gave an example of cricket, uh, one example was, you know, respecting the good balls. Exactly. And, uh, <laughs> so, if given a chance, would you go back and do neurosurgery all over again? Yeah, if, my, if I could tell the good Lord, uh, don't let my father have metastatic brain disease, then maybe I wouldn't do neurosurgery. But now that that had to happen and I lost my dad in a few months after that, eight months actually to be precise, and he was only 51, so I was little. Uh, we had many things in, around in the house. We had five cars, my father liked cars. Mm. We had a couple of projectors in the house. We had lots of gadgets. My father would have been crazy with all the kind of gadgetry that you see in today's world, right. the IT world. And uh, we had, you know, I had a uh, splitter where I could edit movies at that age. We had 16mm projectors, 8mm projectors, we had movie cameras. And my uh, father gave me this insight into, we had a piano at home, so I used to play music. Mm. Uh, I had the opportunity to paint, to draw. So lots of uh, inputs into my upbringing which uh, all make a big part, play a right. big part hmm. in uh, becoming a good neurosurgeon. So you would do it all over again? Absolutely. I also read somewhere you uh, said about you know establishing neuroscience centers in Western India. Yeah, um, actually I don't think Western India has anything dedicated to neurosciences. Per okay. se. There are smaller centers which are good. But like the one that I'm heading right now hmm. at KM Hospital is good. But it's not dedicated only neurosciences. We have neurosurgery, yes, but we don't have radiation. Radiation is across the street at Tata Memorial. Tata Memorial didn't have neurosurgery facilities. We used to go across and operate there for nearly 20 years. Hmm. Now they have their own because of the magnitude of the problem. We have so many patients and you know everyone needs some neurosurgical expertise at hand you cannot wait for neurosurgeons across the road to come and sort out your problems right so each one needs an in-house neurosurgeon as well plus neurosurgery along with all its complexities is also a hands-on job where you actually save lives patient comes with uh, hydrocephalus which is water in the brain and you need to tap the ventricle ASAP otherwise the patient might go or there's a clot and you need to decompress the clot so there are many instances of the tumor is bled and you need to go in and operate the tumor. So you need a neurosurgery backup almost 24 by 7. Mm. In which case, we still probably need something in Western India which will address all these problems and more. Today, stroke units are coming up, which is again a very small part of the neurosurgical problem. But a, a, a far cry from what happened in the West and that's probably because our GDP is only 1% hmm. compared to our population. For example, if you look at the GDP in health for the US. So, the GDP on the healthcare is 1%? Yeah, it's just 1%. So, you can imagine in the US where the population is nothing in, compa in comparison with India, 
the GDP is uh, 17%. Wow. So you can imagine, you know. So I think uh, we have a long difference. way to go. We have a long mm. way to go. You cannot compare. But I can say this across my heart that our results, even at KM Hospital, are comparable with the best in the world. That's amazing. So any particular reason why you think or how we can improve, you know, the setup? The setups, yeah, the, the neuroscience centers, the healthcare centers, across, say, right now, only the Western India. I think uh, there are lots of the Tata group, for example, who established the Tata Hospital across the, the street of KM, right. are doing a great job. So maybe more centers should look at conditions of the masses, not mm. corporate hospitals, but actual teaching hospitals in collaboration with the government with the government yeah they shouldn't be independent and we shouldn't have huge expenses in the education of doctors okay i firmly believe that we should be able to channelize specialties much earlier on the basic sciences assigned sciences in the education of medicine should be more focused into what you want to become at the end of the day mm. rather than making it as general as it is today and for example if someone wants to do general practice uh, you know his life should be in the same mode mm. he should look at problems that affect the masses he should be wise enough to diagnose a common cold right. or an appendix mm. rather than you know a huge problem like an intricate brain tumor mm. But having said that, he should know what a symptom of a brain tumor is and he should be looking for some signs that might merit an MRI, for example. Mm. You know, I, I, in spite of all these problems, the MRI appointment in Bombay, in the private sector, you can get within a couple of days. Unfortunately, the same cannot be said in the government sector. Now, if there's a patient who comes in, for an MRI scan at KM hospital, he has a long wait list, mm. which is not fair, which is akin to the same problems that they have in the West. If you want to run an MRI for a patient with a backache in, say, Europe, you have a wait list of more than maybe three weeks to three months. <laughs> so the person just stays there with the agonizing pain mm. and have had patients crawling out of their aircraft, so to speak, and come to the clinic because they can't keep waiting for the NHS to look after their backing. You know, each one has their own set of problems. I'm not saying that it's all rosy in the West, right. but I think the way forward would be first to increase the GDP without doubt and to channelize the education of doctors of the future so that we don't have unnecessary waste of time and money when uh, there is so much to be addressed. Right. So much to be addressed. I hope those, the government comes and you know, implements a few of those as fast as possible because as the I'm sure they will because uh, the, you know I look at education as what we do for the future that's why I like to be a teacher but uh, what is for the present is health if the health of the masses is looked after then they are happy their productivity is better the country is bound to progress everyone is healthy Right. But imagine if you're looking after people, they've got backache, they've got headache, they've got other aches and pains. Their mental makeup is not positive. How on earth can such a huge population manage on a day-to-day -day basis? It's so difficult. So we need better system to be put ASAP. Yeah. 
you know you mentioned a lot of uh, cricketing analogies and uh, you're a cricket a huge cricketer yourself so what was your first cricketing memory which you remember oh i i started I, you know i used to be going to what we used to call in bombay tersi nets they were nets that were held all the way after the the, the rainy season would, would would conclude which used to be in the month of september middle okay. of september they would have a small selection trial and i made it to the tersi nets when i was very little and the first coach my first coach was the great sir we call him sir bapu natkani and bapu natkani used to even chuck a few to me while he had others to bowl he knew that i had a very compact defense i was aggressive on the cover drive and i also liked the sweep shot i still remember that he was standing at square leg one day and there was somebody throwing uh, balls to me on the smallest net at the tersi nets we used to have four nets I still remember people like Solkar Gavaskar used to be in the the fourth net the senior mm. net mm. and uh, I swept the ball and the ball was hit into the ground because we were taught to roll the wrists right and uh, I hit the ball the ball bounced and hit Sir Bapu Natkani right in the crotch and that is my first memory of the cricket ball <laughs> and he didn't flinch he just applauded the sweep shot and there was a bright smile on his face <laughs> and uh, he went about his business i still remember um, you know so many people telling my mother or my parents why are you putting him into nets at such a tender age mm. and they would say that this guy has no other interest he just wants to play cricket and uh, i used to go there early morning and then uh, i would be dropped to school so i've been going to tersi nets from when i was very little practically from the first standard so you I mean I would say a legend of the game itself and you okay. also have played with a lot of legends like Gavaskar Wing Sarkar the great Sachin I mean how, how was it playing with them I mean uh, let me tell you one episode with uh, Sunny Gavaskar he it's the confidence level in cricket uh, your mind is so so powerfully involved with the sport that you play that it's almost impossible to disconnect so mm. I remember when uh, Sunny was playing he we had the slightly sticky wicket there was a exhibition game uh, at Bombay gym and I was opening with him and one ball kind of reared up and he tried to play it down not as successfully as anyone would have liked so the ball took the thick edge and went between first and second slip hmm. went for a boundary and then in this typical waddle of uh, Sunny Gavaskar he would come tapping the wicket and then obviously when you see the great man walk towards you you walk and uh, meet him halfway so i went there and he without looking up you know his typical uh, white floppy cap uh, he would just say i always found the gaps and then he <laughs> went back so you can just see the attitude you're never beaten you're never confused you're never you're so sure of what you want to do and uh, you achieve what you have to achieve and that's what he did almost every time when he went to bat and uh, his records speak for himself yeah, and that's a deadly uh, combination to have like uh, so much confidence backed with so much greatness that's hard to beat and he is what he is he's the little master the original little master yes uh, um i've learned a lot from him I, in fact when sachin broke his record uh, 
I happened to meet him at the Bombay gym dressing room mm. and I said sir I'm sure you can go and hit a couple of more centuries so he <laughs> smiled and said I can bat two sessions but the third session may be a little difficult <laughs> and you can imagine how old he was at that time mm. so this this is uh, you know cricket and cricketers for you Sachin himself is a jewel and uh, I've just played against him once and he's always up to some mischief or the other he's got that lovely smile which is so boyish is another great cricketer i mean everyone recognizes that so we come to the main point that you have represented india at the veterans world cup recently in australia i mean that's i mean I only think, a few I think, luck, uh, lucky people can even say that no, how was that experience for you i should have or i would have been much happier playing test cricket it's <laughs> uh, that's a far cry i still silently yearn that maybe i might be able to play the 4 day 5 day match sometime mm. and uh, right now i don't think i can even last 2 days <laughs> so no, the one day match is tough you played for i yeah. mean represent india right now i mean so, it's no, a, that, i think the god was kind to me he said that uh, okay you didn't play <laughs> test cricket but you might be able to play the <laughs> the shorter version of the game So I did play I played uh, reasonably well a lot of the games are on YouTube so people can watch me bat and mm-hmm. I joke around with my neurosurgical residents that if you watch me you might forget Sachin Tendulkar <laughs> but uh, honestly I I play uh, the old fashioned cricket which is with the straight bat and the horizontal bat shot no, is only no 360 degree shots and all no usually <laughs> not it's usually in the V in front of the wicket it uh, looks honestly. very it looks very elegant yeah. and uh, it's very pleasing to the eye and especially to a, somebody who's a naturalist or somebody who plays the classical game it looks very compact the the technique looks very solid the probability of getting out is less so there are advantages yes but the scoring rate definitely drops because your 360 degree doesn't happen and the horizontal shot is used for the short ball mm. or the ball that comes uh, either waist high or above it's it's very different cricket and uh, the quality of the bats have changed over the years which has made scoring easier you have a protective gear in the times that i grew up there was no helmet gavaskar played all his cricket without a helmet and mm. just in his fag end he used something called a skull cap mm. now just imagine if the ball had to take a nick from his bat and hit his face he would be dead practically right you're facing malcolm marshall landy roberts holding clark and who else you know you've got so many quick bowlers right and i think uh, it's very different very different difficult to compare different eras i still think uh, you need a special set of genes to play fast bowlers without any protective gear and in those days even the thigh pad was like you know just a hanky in the pocket and uh, even the gloves were so weak that if you got the ball on the finger it, the finger would be sore for a week at least so i think it's it's very different very very different today you've got so much of protection right that i still remember when i was called on to look at rushab pant after he was hit from a stark bouncer which he pulled onto his helmet mm. and then uh, he was caught out so he came back and ravi shastri was the manager and i was on the neurosurgical panel at the Ankhede Stadium. So I was called to look at, at this guy, who was quite dazed. We of course didn't allow him to go back to field. And as per the rules, thanks to a lot of unfortunate incidents in international cricket, mm. he was sidelined for two weeks 
much against his wishes he was quite keen to go back and he seemed fit enough to go back the helmet had taken the brunt and we could see the depression on the helmet where the ball had struck but the ball did hit him he had a swelling he had a bump but luckily his scans were clean everything was clean today he is healing from a road traffic accident which is sad another thing on my bucket list of doing which has been which is which is uh, where i have uh, thought of setting up these centers along highways to prevent accidents or actually prevent secondary accidents so prevent uh, patients from not getting the necessary treatment or the required treatment so that they can be saved and a few pilot centers are already up and running yes we are very fortunate we've had many people who've done that and uh, there there's a group known as the kaji jals there's uh, darman there's a kind of a a kind of a ngo ngo that helps in this there's a konkan development another ngo uh, i started a small ngo with my father's mm. uh, memory called the shaukasi chagla memorial trust which also has contributed and we have dr faisal who is now running that place in a, in a very polished manner and uh, we give him the necessary backing whenever required and we are planning to set up similar centers All every over. 50 yeah 50 yeah. 100 kilometers so we are developing the next one at khed okay. then probably the next one between lanja and so on so uh, the, the the highway between uh, bombay and goa is very close to my heart my wife is from goa and i drive that highway as often as it's i can it's a beautiful road it's a beautiful road probably the best road in exactly in the i mean i keep telling everyone you can take a flight to go but if you drive down there's nothing like it yes you, uh, you also mentioned uh, your father's memorial trust which also organizes an, an intercity medical tournament approved by the mca the, the trust is i was uh, well i thought of it because there were many people who i connected with who had a lot of respect for my father oh, so a lot of freebies the, came so there's a different cricket tournament by our father yeah no so the tournament i started because Uh, of multiple reasons okay. i i love the game of cricket i play the game of cricket a lot of people know me so i i named the tournament only because it was very easy for people to relate mca would definitely know the seriousness of the tournament and there was no intermedical cricket tournament existing at that time what made me very sad was our bombay university affiliation was broken because we have what we call the Uh, Maharashtra University of Health which is now in Nashik so they have broken all ties with Bombay University hmm. that means medical students or for that matter any student doing medicine uh, or dentistry or whatever cannot play university cricket from Bombay okay i know when that happened hmm. they couldn't play the intercollegiate tournament which is run by the Bombay University so that means there was no cricket whatsoever and i said we grew up playing intermedical cricket we grew up playing intercollegiate cricket in fact i got a 100 in my first game uh, intercollegiate cricket 125 not out i still remember on cross maidan now all this was gone so i started this tournament 10 years ago we couldn't hold the 10th edition which we wanted to make on a bigger scale thanks to covid and hopefully this maybe march april i intend to have it and let's see god willing it will happen we'll be there I hope so. Yeah. But having said that, my mother is a badminton star, and in her uh, respect or in her 
uh, or with her gui- guidance, I intend to have an intermedical tournament for, for badminton. badminton. Okay. So I intend to do that, and she is going to be ninety this year. Wow. The funny thing is, we've been celebrating her ninetieth birthday for a number of years <laughs> <laughs> because different records have shown different birthday. But you, you also birthday. mentioned she she still plays. She still plays badminton, yeah. which is remarkable. She plays a bit of tennis. In fact, I have just been informed that she's invited on the twenty sixth for the flag hoisting and the tennis tournament of over fifty five, which she plays very very seriously. So she'll be very happy to learn that she's been invited for that. This tournament I intend to have for the first time okay this year between the 1st and the 3rd and very very kind of bombajim to come forward and say that they will stage it for us that's amazing uh, the great amul mujuddar who is one of the greats of ranji cricket and bombay cricket he once called you i mean i saw a video where he called you god in the room like uh, if if there's one god he's sitting with us and he referred to you how did that feel when he said that to you I think it's very humbling again. <coughs> and the reason uh, I say it's very humbling is that this is the respect the medical profession has in this country. They they akin uh, doctors next to god which is uh, uh, for everyone to understand that in India this is almost on a regular basis. and therefore it is our moral responsibility mm. to conduct ourselves accordingly so there has to be honesty there has to be commitment and there has to be a sense of drive that will allow you this let's say privilege because this is the faith in which most of our patients heal as well right so uh, the story is that i was playing a cricket match and amor rang me up mm. and said that his uncle was down with something very serious and he was unconscious and he needed help so i did tell him that i had a game on hand so that game had to be completed but in the meantime i didn't want to waste any time so i gave him a whole long list of things to be done and i informed the hospital that they should carry those things mm. so by the time the match was done all those uh, formalities were over and i could straight away go and operate on Amol's uncle, and we were happy we could save it. So you went from a cricket. <laughs> yeah. So that's. So there are times that I go for a surgery after a cricket game. There are times that I go for a game after <laughs> surgery. So that's a very normal thing for you, apparently, where you, uh, you know, <laughs> directly go from a surgery room to a dressing room, from a dressing room to a surgery room. Yeah, I have um, a story with the great Sir Achrekar. Okay. Was. the sachin tendulkar coach the famous dronacharya of cricket so i played for his team for 2 years after i came back as a neurosurgeon so i okay. was working as a lecturer in sain hospital I, i beg your pardon i was working as a lecturer in jg hospital grand medical college my alma mater so i had operated through the night on saturday sunday was the kanga league match the match was at sasanian which is the team that i was playing for i played 2 years for sasanian we had youngsters like amit walaskar etc who were ranji trophy players who didn't play at that time in ranji trophy but went on to play ranji trophy so right. we had reasonably good team but i hadn't slept the whole night so as soon as i entered the tent at 8:30 in the morning achrika sir was already there and he could notice that my eyes were red and i was you know i was, i didn't look say let's say normal so i went to achrika sir and i asked him i said sir you have 
20 members in the team, 18 members in the team. And I just want to tell you that I haven't slept the whole night. Mm. So he said, why are you telling me this? So I said, sir, but you know, you might want to. He said, why have you come to the ground? I said, to play the game. He said, then Jolly will play the game. Mm -hmm. That was actually (laughs) because. I mean, you have been a. I would say custodian of cricket, you have seen the evolution of cricket, you have seen three, four decades or more uh, cricket, the changes in cricket. So, what's one thing you like about cricket in India and one thing you dislike about cricket in India? I love cricket. So, there's very little that I dislike of cricket, but I'll tell you a few things that have pained me over the years. One is, let me talk about the things that I love about the game. There's nothing like cricket. There's a song called, I don't like cricket, I love it. (laughs) It's a 10cc song which I heard when I went to Australia this time, in fact, for the World Cup. So, uh, the the game of cricket has taught me everything. Like I spoke about humility when you really bend down and respect the bowler and you defend the ball back. And also, when you get a half volley, you spank it to the boundary. So, you know when, which ball to hit and which ball to leave. So, that's pretty much similar to a relationship with anybody. You must know when to duck, you must know when not to to try and hit a good ball and you must know when you need to be aggressive. So, it, it gives you an entire sphere, very much like what religion teaches you. Mm. So, the laws of cricket are uh, pretty evident, but most important is the spirit of the game and the way you play the game. So, if I had to take a catch one lob, I don't think I could even in today's scenario appeal for a catch one lob. But if the rules allowed me to get a, a man out, uh, if he was out of his crease, uh, then I would try and you know knock the stumps down. But I I think in the era that we grew up, we didn't do the monkard. But today, the rule allows it, the right. law allows it. Mm. So, I think uh, cricketers are justified in getting somebody run out in that manner. So, that has changed. Uh, the gentlemanly nature of the game seems to have changed. It, I think it relates to the fact there's so much at stake. So that's bound to happen in a way. But what I dislike is that you've got this whole aura of match fixing which has tainted the game and mm. has ruined the game. And that happens when there's a lot of money poured into the game because the balance and the equations tend to change and the agenda is very different then. So that is what I dislike about the game today and I'm not sure where it is going and how it's going to go but I prefer to watch a Rohit Sharma innings today or a Virat Kohli I don't bother what the result of the game happens because we sometimes don't know what that is but the technique and the way batsmen play is what I love to watch and I like to watch the the quick bowler running up from the boundary line Mm. delivering even a bouncer or a yorker to see how the batsman copes with it. That's the beauty of the game. Wow. So, during the pandemic, when everyone was at home, I was on YouTube and I was watching a video where I came across a, a video of yours uh, called Seeking Perfection. Yeah. And that intrigued me and I saw the entire thing. And Which is a very interesting topic you took out was, you know, importance uh, of, you know, having a good mentor and guidance in medicine. So, if you can elaborate a little bit on that, it would be great. I think uh, in that TED talk which I gave on seeking perfection, mm. and that was during the pandemic. I was, in fact, I looked quite haggard and unkept. 
got long hair and uh, i look something like einstein probably <laughs> but nevertheless the 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 essence is that when you are trying to become perfect hmm. you need someone to guide you to that to mold yourself right because there are a lot of edges in your technique a lot of uh, let's say flaws that need to be rectified and sometimes it's difficult for you to pick them up you need someone from the outside to recognize these mistakes and the same happens in a sport the same happens in neurosurgery i still remember the great yasar gel who's the father of modern neurosurgery in this latter latter half of the last decade last century hmm. uh, we dedicate that to the great yasar gel he would guide some of the neurosurgeons just sitting by and looking at their techniques and then telling them things right and i was very fortunate that in my first presentation in the us he was part of the audience and he invited me over to little rock after i had my presentation and uh, in fact he was looking through some of my operative videos when he invited me there mm-hmm. so it's a very humbling experience i've been fortunate to meet some of the giants of the game of cricket mm-hmm. and i've been very fortunate to meet some of the giants in neurosurgery and i've had a lot of time spent one on one with these great men just by good fortune i would say which is like the mentorship that one needs to become perfect right so therefore i had to include that in that talk that you need good mentorship you need people to recognize these small flaws that might come about in your technique in your uh, treatment program in something that might be so uh, so evident to somebody else but may miss your your gaze or miss your your correction and then you will make the same mistakes over mm. and over again having said that i think i'd like to make a small mention to one of the great teachers of neurosurgery in our own city of mumbai uh, the great dr dastur mm. we lost him very recently and uh, we pay homage to him and his family and i would just like to say a, a small episode when we had an interaction with him it was a big meeting and he is such a great man that he was doing some technique over years and he must have been at least 70 plus when he mentioned to us that what he did over the years was not exactly correct and he should change because science has changed over the years so you can imagine he was 70 when he said that <laughs> and uh, i'm told that his suturing technique was exactly like a sewing machine he was so meticulous and so correct and so so brilliant and uh, we owe a lot of our km uh let's say reputation mm. thanks to his work and his efforts he has been a mentor for you and you have been well not directly because i never had the good fortune of working with him he was okay. far too senior to me but he's obviously translated a lot to another very senior gentleman who i spoke to only today dr pandya mm-hmm. and then i worked with dr pandya for a number of years which also has been like a mentorship when you're on the path to seek perfection there has to be someone to guide you to the right way or i would say when you say has to yes but in principle even if he's not physically there okay. if you've imagined a person and i uh, would love to share the story of the famous mahabharat of the story of eklavya the the ideal student hmm. who has mastered the art of archery without 
the dronacharya there but he had his statue and his and he mm. had his guidance so in principle dronacharya was there he was the one who guided him to do what he did so yes you need a mentor but the mentor could be a physical form it could be a person it could be just the thought but yes you do need to create that in your mind another uh, fascinating point which i uh, know about you is you prefer to be called as a professor over a doctor any particular reason why <laughs> is that multiple reasons i think it's simpler because doctors are now being stoned and treated very badly professors aren't as yet at least <laughs> <laughs> no but on on a more serious note there are two aspects of mm. the medical practice that i do one is i teach and the second is i treat patients mm. so treatment i can do to very few patients i i might treat six i might operate maximum four to six a day i mean that's the max i've done but i could definitely teach more than six people mm. in a day so you know you're doing much more as a professor you're teaching your skills and that will go that's a much wider access to heal patients in the end because they will treat so many more mm. so if i teach these students and teaching is for the future we must always look at the future future of the country future of your family future of a lot of things that surround you because that is the way to move that is the way to go whereas when i heal i can heal just a few so therefore i prefer the word professor before my name and it's difficult to become a professor because you have to earn it you have to do a lot of work you have to work in a setup which is teaching which is a medical college setup so remunerations are very different private practice has a lot more income but you don't become a professor generally and if you have to become a professor you have to be lucky that the institution you work also has a teaching facility so uh, these are some of the advantages i would say in choosing one of the other understood so what are the changes and say differences you have seen over the last few years after teaching hundreds of students yeah now i think in the initial phases the, the entire set of people who took up medicine in fact when i took up neurosurgery we were less than 10 neurosurgeons in the whole city of bombay wow having said that i can't remember a single student or a, a neurosurgeon who was actually from bombay even some of the big names in the city of bombay were from other places okay and around they mm. were not really born bombay. and brought up in bombay so they came to bombay because there were no neurosurgeons here having said that there was not a single neurosurgeon in the whole of gujarat and our dean which was the dean of km jivraj mehta he was invited by the then politician to become the first chief minister of gujarat who then invited one professor damani from uh, again not from bombay bombay to gujarat to become a neurosurgeon there because there was not a single neurosurgeon there so you can imagine so we've had even the the famous uh, dr ginde the ram ginde who started neurosurgery facilities in number of hospitals in bombay which included km hospital included bombay hospital included breech candy hospital included nanavati hospital prince ali khan hospital so so many centers in bombay were started by the great ram ginde he was from belgaum in fact a small village around belgaum so not many people were from bombay because they had other let's say more i wouldn't say just lucrative but 
better options to have a living. The prognosis in neurosurgery in those days was not great. So the the question of healing did not come. You were almost struggling every time. Right. I remember the stories of Dr. Dastu telling us that he would get the operation theatre after the entire surgery list was done because the dean would say that anyway your patients are going to die. So you can imagine we've come a long way where mortality was initially 80%, then it dropped to 40, 20 and probably when I took up neurosurgery it was around 10 and when I finished it was about 5. Today we are looking at 0.5 to 2. So you know. We are definitely progressing as neurosurgeons. That's astonishing figures right there. Like, you know, the progress you have seen over these years in, in your field itself. So, just uh, on that topic itself, how would you rate today's students compared to a lot of previous generations? One thing for sure, they are a lot more smart. Mm-hmm. They are very smart. They are, they know exactly where they are headed, what they want to do. They're, let's say they're, Academic ability, their scholastic ability is superior to what it used to be in the past. I, I also guess it's because of the ease of uh, data or knowledge accessible at their fingertips. They can just click a button, get to know whatever they need to do. Mm. But having said that, they are not born tough. Their emotional stability or their emotional content in mm. their makeup is right. not strong. So, let's say you need to have a good combination. You need to be strong enough to weather the load of patients, the hard life that a doctor leads today, especially with the number of cases that are increasing, the hours of duty that he needs to spend in the hospital. So, these are areas where they will need to cope up if they have to be good doctors. It's not easy. The emotional quotient is a little longer. They have to... Toughen up a little bit. I think that's the basic difference. So even when it comes to looking after these students, or we call them like kids, you have to be very gentle. You cannot be rough with them because if they are, they tend to break down. One uh, question personally, which I wanted to ask, Alec, because you have taught so many students, like what motivates you as a teacher? You know, after so many years, day in, day out. What motivates you as a teacher? The the beauty of teaching the kids is that they ask questions. Mm -hmm. Then you're always learning yourself. That's the first thing. Secondly, uh, it's the easiest way to sharpen your own skills because most of the times they have difficult queries and then you have to provide solutions because you're supposed to be the teacher, you're the master, you're the guider, you're the guide and you have to make sure that whatever you teach them then translates to something that they can imbibe into their own let's say data bank into their brain so that they can also do similar kind of cases and it should be able to blend in their system so they should be able to acquire those skills it shouldn't be that only I can operate and nobody else can operate it shouldn't be that way so uh, that challenge is always there because we were groomed with let's say fewer instruments, Mm. fewer uh, props as I call it. Today you have so many more gadgets with so many more props. You have a wand which tells you where the tumor is in the brain. So we call it the stealth. Then you have a stereotactic frame which guides you to a lesion and it pinpoints exactly. So in those days we had to use our own skills and our own 
calculations in our brain today there are gadgets that do it so of course there are many advantages but there are also disadvantages okay the, the beauty would be to blend the two to make you a robust neurosurgeon today also uh, because of the pandemic a lot of teaching shifted to a more digital platform True. so how was the transition for you from the more traditional way of teaching one of my ted talks was in the, in that mode but you know you don't get the feedback so you're <laughs> you, know, you you tend to gesticulate more you you know you move your head or you try to see whether you're creating that uh, rapport yeah it looks a little funny sometimes now i am reasonably still because you're there in front of me <laughs> if you were not i would be trying to you know knock on the door and say are you there still or are you awake <laughs> so it's difficult you can't make out what's happening to your audience you don't have any feedback whatsoever uh, to reassure you that you're actually talking sense or whatever you're speaking is actually translating uh, or uh, getting registered with your audience so i think it's tough for the person who's teaching and equally tough for somebody to listen to somebody so far away but that's only probably because we are used to the fact that we are always in in touch with our students or our uh, our residents etc but when it comes to patient care you have to be there with mm. the patient you have to touch the patient you have to feel for the patient you have to see the expression of the pa- patient and then you have to make sure that the patient heals you know it's not just treating the patient the right word heal is very important mm. and if doctors don't or lose the art of healing then we are going to have a very sad and very unhealthy race in the future also uh, when you move to the clinical side a lot of so neurosurgeons all over the country from various parts of the country and abroad uh, you know ask for assistance and help from you so you have to go and perform surgery sometimes to various parts yeah uh, and in places where it's a non familiar place for you with uh, a different ot setup different set of assistants different instrumentation so how do you cope up with that yeah uh, it's an interesting question that you put i i usually always say yes and some of okay. my colleagues know that i say yes because i love the ch- challenge of doing a difficult surgery i mean mm-hmm. that is the, the let's say the adrenaline drive mm-hmm. and it also gives me a chance to see another setup and if you have to translate that to a cricket match it's like playing in an away ground you you have played in australia i've played in Bangkok I've played in East Africa I've played in South Africa I've played almost everywhere Australia so when you're playing on a different wicket you have to adapt so you 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 know some wickets are bouncy mm. some wickets are flat so the same with this, the setup there you go with a mental makeup that you're going to do this I carry my cricket bat and my kit everywhere I go even if it's for a neurosurgical <laughs> exam I have my cricket kit in my backpack but on the other hand same with my neurosurgery i take the neurosurgery uh, instruments which are like my cricket bat and my gloves and things like that and coincidentally neurosurgery or any surgical branch is very similar to batting because there also you wear your gloves here also you wear your gloves there also you finish the match and you start oiling your bat and you scrape it and clean it here also i take my instrument start cleaning it keep it ready for the next case so these are makeup things that tell you how you've gone through the case what you need to do for the next case uh, 
So there's a lot of mental preparation mm-hmm. when you're doing a challenging case, especially in a different scenario. And then you make sure that you, whatever that you don't get at home, you start making sure that you've got a backup plan. Right. If this nurse is not good at giving this, okay, I've got these things already lined up. Or if I need certain types of instruments, I made sure that I'm carrying those instruments. So you make sure that you've got things that are there to give you that confidence that you'll be able to achieve what you have to do. Those are great analogies between cricket and neurosurgery, like the home and the away. <laughs> it's, it's my like, daily routine. <laughs> does that help you in your daily practice? Like, I mean, if there's yes, a stressful environment, Absolutely. but then the moment you make analogies with cricket, it just, it, it just breaks it down into a more simpler process for you. It's so funny. See, when you bat, when you're batting, it's only you and the bowler. Even though if there's a huge crowd watching you or making noise or whatever, ultimately it's just you and the ball coming to you. That's mm. it. The bowler, you watch his action, you start seeing the way the seam is, you see what it, what the ball is doing, you see what the wicket is doing. Mm. In neurosurgery, it's you, you've got your micro instruments and you've got your target in front of you. The only difference is you're in an operating room and there are beeps of the patient or the beeps of the monitor going and that's the music to your ears. So it's a very different scenario, yes, uh, different muscle skills are required, different muscle memories come into play. But at the end of the day, you have to concentrate and you can't get distracted at all. So the concentra- concentration levels are high, they supplement or they complement each other. Your fitness levels are high, they complement each other. Uh, your focus is extremely important, so that complements each other. So you've got lots of parallels and that's why I take my cricket as seriously as my series, as my neurosurgery. <laughs> Another fascinating point I heard about you and read about you basically is you've also assisted veterinary surgeons in dog surgeries. Yeah, I in my training as a neurosurgeon, I had to do a lot of dog experiments. In fact, and my that model, blew my mind. I mean, I mean that, yeah. that was the <laughs> no, I, I studied the dog, the canine model. Oh, uh, during, in, in, during my okay. neurosurgery, only because I had a model prepared as an experiment for my thesis. And because of that, I had a lot of knowledge of the canine model. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I came back to Bombay after my neurosurgery, which I did in Sri Chitra Tirunal, I uh, was invited by some friends to help in a veterinary surgery. It was a disc in a dashing. Okay. And the, the dog was paraplegic. They were going to put down the dog. And I said, no, no, don't do that. Let me uh, remove the disc and the dog should be fine. Mm. And the dog actually recovered power in both the lower limbs after about uh, four weeks, four or five weeks. And I got a message in two months that my this dog uh, has jumped and bit the neighbor's maid. <laughs> so that was like a <laughs> pat on the back for me. So... And after that, I've done all sorts of different uh, operations on dogs whenever I've been invited by the veterinary surgeons. There are very few veterinary surgeons who actually do neuro for dogs, not in Bombay, not that I know of. Mm-hmm. I mean, you must have treated hundreds of patients, or more than that, thousands. Uh, any one fascinating story or inspirational story, anything which you can share, just one. With us. Yeah, I, I would love to talk about the story about a patient that lived in my building okay and uh, she was a young girl i saw her at the age of 3 i used to see her in the lift going with her mom and i used to tell the mother i think uh, i mean it was none of my business at that time but i knew the family very well i used to tell her and she was a little younger than i was her parents were close to my parents and we've all grown up together as kids 
So when she was married and she had this young girl at three, I said, look, I think you need to just watch this girl and probably just get a scan. And she was so young and she then started to develop seizures and then she had uh, some weakness. Mm. By the time she was five, she was uh, having gross neurological deficits and they brought her to me at the clinic. We had been allowed private practice from KUM, so I had a chance to see her in a private hospital. Mm. And I did mention that, look, this looks like what we call an arteriovenous malformation, which will require a surgical resection. Unfortunately, this was in a very critical area and uh, some other doctors along the way had already mentioned that if that was taken up, not only would she die, she would be grossly maimed, she would be paralyzed and whatnot. So they were always on the back foot and being of a community which is very conservative, they were not really talking about surgery at all. So we lost more time. And by the time she actually came to me, the second time was when she was bedridden. So she was on the bed. Mm. Uh, she was drooling saliva from one side of the face and uh, she could barely swallow. Uh, she was completely weak on one side also. And she was having five to ten seizures a day. So she was pretty much gone. Mm. And uh, with this in mind, I said, now we are going to have a huge surgical challenge plus there'll be a huge rehab program after that but they came and since I just said that I had given them that assurance that if she came to me I'd look after her mm. I really wasn't keen to just say no but almost everyone had given up on this case and uh, in fact my wife uh, was very keen that I didn't touch this case because we live in the same building and god forbid if she did have the worst outcome she would be facing the music because I leave early in the morning and I come late at night and I barely know what's happening in the building mm. so she said I don't think that's a good idea just stay everyone has said that this is not a challenge this is not even a case that one should attempt nevertheless as most neurosurgeons are the way they are we took up this challenge and I said this is what we need to do and even then they were not prepared I had kept my whole Diwali vacation to look after her but they chickened out and ultimately they said yes in the month of Jan-Feb. Mm. Uh, I must mention that that's the time when the time shield matches also come into play. Mm. And uh, I play a lot more cricket. So to then think of this challenging case when I have cricket matches and net practices was almost... Uh, <laughs> an impossible <laughs> challenge. So Absolutely. I was... I was also a little bit on the back foot at that time. But nevertheless, as neurosurgeons love challenges and I particularly love them, I told her, okay, we will go ahead with mm. this plan. They wanted some assurance. I'd send them to another doctor. There's something called a pre-op embolization. They were feeders from all the three major vessels of the brain, the anterior, middle and posterior cerebral arteries. So the, the anterior and the middle were more approachable surgically, so I requested my uh, radiology colleagues to try and embolize what we call reduce the circulation from the posterior circulation. Uh, unfortunately, uh, during this procedure, they didn't use the posterior circulation. They used the MCA, which was actually very superficial for me to treat. Mm. And the catheter got clogged, means it, it got blocked. In those days, they had something called what we 
commonly called glue injection and they have to pull the catheter out quite quickly they couldn't do that and the catheter got stuck she got much worse after the procedure and the procedure was abandoned so hmm. we had a sick patient we had a patient now who had problems with the procedure so she was completely in a wreck and i was at the center of all this hmm. so we had to still wait we had to kind of get her out of this mess initially and then i admitted her for the surgery ultimately about 15 20 days or almost a month after this procedure was done which made it worse for my cricket <laughs> season which was getting more and more interesting and uh, nevertheless we decided on a friday and i operate my private cases after four that is in the evening because in the morning i'm at km hospital so the morning of this day i was driving to work and I, since uh, i stay at bridge candy and the hospital of bridge candy is very close to my house i see the patients at about 8 o'clock before i go to work at 9 at the hospital at the km hospital so on my way i saw the grandmother of this girl uh, walking towards bridge candy which is walkable distance from my house so i just took the car on the side and i said uh, auntie i'm going to the hospital i'll give you a lift so she you know folded her hands like this and said this way or that way don't keep the patient lingering in the middle and i froze on the wheel saying that please don't say something like that because this is not the intent of the entire procedure entire surgery mm. so please don't say something like this on the day that i'm going to operate on your granddaughter she will be well and we went to the hospital i wrote my notes my last clinical notes and uh, made the plan before i left for km finished the day and came back at 5 o'clock to organize the surgery again we started at about 5 5:30 and the surgery went on till 5:30 in the morning the next day so 12 hours as operating on this avm and i managed to excise the avm i saw the catheter that had been left in c2 and of course that continued to remain there the surgery was done quite well i was very pleased i told the relatives at about 5:30 when we finished i settled the patient in the icu saying that she will require an icu for a few days and uh, i told them that i'll come back and see the patient but it will only be after 5 i didn't tell them that i was going to play a cricket match so <laughs> i i went home and uh, i told my wife just let me rest for about an hour wake me up if i've dozed off so i slept from about 6 to 7 7 i was getting ready i informed the captain that i won't open but i'd probably go one down if you're batting first mm. and went and played the match we won the match and i scored a 50 oh. <laughs> so that's the story the patient did very well in fact a little bit of the patient's video has also surfaced on that uh, seeking perfection talk oh which is uh, the girl they're a very nice family they stay in my building they've given me all the permission to use that video whenever mm. in fact they sent it to me for this talk saying that we would be very happy for you to use it in case uh, you need to and uh, the family is a very close family to me that's i mean that's the epitome of like yeah, inspiring story, patient but, yeah no yeah. i mean you can't get better than that yeah so this there's is no, there's neurosurgery this is cricket there's nothing beyond that you share an inspiration story you are an inspiration yourself uh a personal question how so how do you you know seek perfection like how if you if anyone out there wants to improve as a physician as a surgeon how do you do that how how, how do we do that yeah uh, 
you need time so to seek perfection i don't know if you've heard of leonardo vinci story or you've heard of people like uh, these greats mm. when you read about them they've spent hours and hours mm. uh, if you look at the painting of mona lisa i'm sure he must have painted it over and over and over again mm. and because he've done that he's got what is almost a perfect figure and uh, you need to spend time so even in my batting i like to spend time i love to be there in the middle and i like to see that my technique is the way it's supposed to be and the same with neurosurgery so the more correct you are the less chance of making mistakes and the more uh, precise you get mm. the better your results will be so you know when we are making cuts on brain tissue you've got millimeters between you and very eloquent areas we mm. cannot afford eloquent brain to be hurt mm. at all and yet you have to take out the disease or you have to tackle the disease so there is a very small uh, margin of error if you have to seek perfection i think it's the simplest thing is to do neurosurgery so uh that's the way i look at it and batting is pretty much like that you watch uh, sunny gavaskar practice his shots and he will tell you the same thing mm. and how in that split second he decides that this is the shot that's going to give me a boundary and this is the risk shot or there's no risk in the shot right and that risk factor that comes into play even in the surgical technique you don't want any risks you want to be absolutely safe and yet you want to challenge yourself to achieve that target mm. so even a race car driver driving at 300 taking a turn a sharp turn and he could skid off the road he could ram into a barrier he could knock off another colleague who's racing along with him so everyone who seeks for this per- perfection in fact uh, they have now video games you can simulate the whole thing so techniques make it easier for someone to achieve it so today's techniques allow you to achieve that right but unfortunately you also need an attitude mm. which is not there mm. so unless you push to the wall that attitude doesn't come so you know you have two sides of the coin in everything in life you have two sides that's why i don't like to look at anything that's good or bad mm. because both things you you improve both things you can learn both things can help you so for example if you fail in something that will teach you probably right. teach you more right and if you succeed that will also help you because you get that high uh, feeling that okay i did this and this is what made me succeed so both things actually teach you one may teach you more but i guess both will at, at the end of the day make sure that you get to that perfect level so all these things are small small lessons mm. and start with small targets i tell my students also don't look at the big picture don't look at the big aneurysm that i did today that will come mm. and in cricket we use the same phrase look for the singles and the boundaries will come <laughs> i absolutely ha- love how you i mean you have managed to like i think the entire dictionary of neurosurgery and cricket has been you know uh, compounded by you in a beautiful way and it's it's uh, it's mean, my, my life <laughs> so uh, how do you compare neurosurgery to other branches of medicine i think uh, as a kid i always wanted to be a neurosurgeon so i never really paid much attention to other branches but i learned a lot from other branches mm. i was very fortunate to work with a plastic surgeon in my very first surgical post uh, dr Jay Shah he was master plastic plastic surgeon his techniques are the ones that stayed me in in good time and good place even today 
uh, I've been fortunate to work with good general surgeons, their techniques. I had good urology seniors mm. whose techniques we've had brilliant uh, surgeons all around. In those days, there were few specialists or super specialist surgeons. There were mainly generally surgeon, general surgeons who did other specialties right. as well. So, a lot of these allowed me to develop skills which I can use in neurosurgery. So, it gives you confidence. It also tells you that simple things can be done to achieve big results. And I've used those principles in my neurosurgical practice. But I think it would be unfair for me to say that neurosurgery is the epitome of all surgical branches. But certainly, it's the most unforgiving of all branches. I tell my general surgery colleagues that even if you left a mop in the abdomen, it will be passed out in the stool somehow. But that can't happen in the brain. Mm. So, uh, there is very little room for error. error. And that is the same for cricket. No room for error when you're opening the batting. You've won a, I mean, multiple awards, something like, a, you know, the best neurosurgeon in Mumbai in 2013. You have been on radio multiple times. Uh, you've, uh, I think... Uh, the Brain and Spine Scholar Award. So, how did, I mean, how does it feel? Did it change you, your practice? Or it, because you, it gave you more power, it added more responsibility. How did that, how did you take it as? Uh, let me tell you, any award is always a good pat on the back. It's a good factor, it's a good feel or a feel good factor, let's mm-hmm. say. But that's not what drives you to do what you want to do. So, the focus is not the award at all. That's the first point I'd like to make. And it is immaterial. You can put your hand up for various awards along the way. There are multiple national level awards, government awards and all sorts of awards. I got the best paper award in my uh, neurosurgery as the proffered paper when I was very young. Mm. And I used the thesis which I did, which I actually learned so much about the dog anatomy. And uh, I remember this conference was in Bangalore way back in the 1994 and I got the best paper or the best preferred paper award in the NSI, which is the Neurological Society of India. And a few of my colleagues, Chitras, had won these awards. So it was nice to share the, the, the podium with people who had already done this in the past. So certainly awards have their place. Having said that, the only award I got in my school was for art, for, for painting and drawing and, you know, I liked art. So, it wasn't scholastic abilities. But I remember a lot of my colleagues have got awards through their schooling careers. But that doesn't mean that you're going to be number one successful. So, awards and success, awards, happiness, they don't go hand in hand. It's mm. just a pat on the back. It just makes you feel happy, yes. But that happiness will only translate if you can do something in the, in the name of service. Mm. So, if that's going to improve service, either in, in medical practice, the services to your patients, then it makes a difference. But if it's going to highlight you in a career or make you feel that, oh, because of this, I'm going to get some benefit, mm. then the award loses its meaning. So at least for me, it's, uh, I wouldn't say it's superficial, but I won't say that that's the reason why one would want to practice medicine or Understood. play cricket. Understood. Yeah. The beauty of cricket is that you may have been uh, the worst player in the team, but you could contribute a boundary or you could take a brilliant catch, you know, you could. So, 
and that catch might win the match you may not get the man of the match you may not have been the top scorer now in trivandrum when i did my neurosurgery i used to get a lot of man of the matches that's because i used to open the batting and i used to bat 45 overs so i always was the top scorer but there might have been another player who got a critical wicket or a catch and i used to tell them that look you guys have to understand that unfortunately they look at the highest scorer or the one who's got done you know a lot in terms of the numbers yeah the numbers mm-hmm. but that's not the name of the game and there's no point getting the numbers if you don't know how to right. play for your team so i think a lot of uh, a lot of life is learned on the cricket field i mean you've put it rightly it's like a pat on the back it's that's all it should take yeah, it, in fact it should just humble you more and i think so <laughs> i think so that if if one realizes that and uh, it would be so much better for most people to learn to accept uh, all their laurels and be grounded right so that uh, you know it would be easier to deal with everybody in life and you have spent a i mean a lot of years in km uh, as a professor and now uh, you are the head of department so where do you see the department of neurosurgery going under your tenure and i i in, in fact have future? this uh, question even from uh, our very favorite uh, municipal commissioner hmm. saying how do you see your department in future so i am very keen that the department grows with sub specialties and i have been trying to dedicate my entire team in that direction so you have somebody who's an expert at epilepsy you have someone who's expert at endovascular hmm. you have somebody who's expert at uh, endoscopy you have someone who's expert at spine hmm. and we've got a very robust team doing that and i have given them a complete free hand you know it's so that you can develop as you'd like to develop so just imagine you have the spine problem we can tackle it you have an endovascular problem we can tackle it you have an epilepsy problem we can tackle it so uh, that was the idea it's never happened before and let people really excel in those fields so that we have the best hands in, in the country and it's not difficult just uh, allowing these youngsters to grow the way they should be growing the future seems bright under your control and uh, would love to know more about it in the future as it when it happens uh, another love of yours apart from neurosurgery and cricket is music oh yes so how did that happen because when you type your name on youtube there's a lot of videos of you playing the piano performing at auditoriums so i want to know more on that let's say i uh, i I grew up in a family where music was always there. My father had a music system in each room. Mm-hmm. In fact, we had speakers of the music system even in the bathroom. Okay. In those days, yeah. So <laughs> you could have music all over the house. That was the first thing. Secondly, he himself, my dad used to play the clarinet. He also had a 16-piece band in those days which used to win a lot of awards and prizes in different uh, music events mm-hmm. there used to be a famous event at the across the yacht club where there used to be a very rowdy bar where groups would be encouraged to play and uh, even in those places i have the, the 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 trophies are still at home where my dad has won he's he's cut records so there's a lot of music in the genes already having said that i have a niece who's an opera singer and i have a wow. nephew who's also playing the clarinet 
So music is definitely in the family genes and I just happen to be fortunate that we have a piano at home and I've played it ever since I was little. So my first song was Moon Glow. I don't know if you've heard this song but it's a jazz song. It was from a movie called Picnic so it's the theme of the movie Picnic. Okay. And it's got lovely words and uh, when I used to be alone uh, playing the piano I would open the window and draw the curtains to see the moonlight fall into the bedroom. or the hall and play the piano uh, we are fortunate that we have a couple of pianos so that i can play them is there a recorded version of yours playing that particular that song? song yes there is in fact it's on the youtube in oh, the there. show called over the rainbow okay, so if you I'm put my it. name and then you put over the rainbow on youtube you will hear that song definitely going to check that out you also secured 100% at the trinity uh, uh, that i'm sure there are many who've done that i i i think music is like maths you know mm-hmm. it's like 4 and 4 is equal to 8 2 and 2 is 4 so if you can get your maths right and i loved maths music is not so difficult so securing 100 at the trinity is not difficult what was difficult was we were very small when i did that mm-hmm. and that was the first time i got my name in the papers along with my name of my teacher anil saldana mm-hmm. who is very he was a great teacher and his most important words that even ring in my ear today and i was barely 5 6 7 8 when i learned to play the piano was slowly because you tend to run through things mm. and i use that critically to all my students even today do things slowly mm. give time to your patience you i i this this is what i like to say if you give time god will give you more time So please don't rush through life. Take your time. See nature. See what good we have around you. Good into quotes, and try and imbibe something so that you can give back if you can imbibe. Mm. And uh, this time is very important. And I always believe that if you do things slowly, you can really enjoy mm. uh, everything and probably even achieve to be perfect. So, uh, do you believe that cross training helps you? during surgeries i think uh, just not cross training it it's because your mind is open to so many avenues mm-hmm. that you are very receptive mm-hmm. now cross training in athletics now we realize that people who play cricket or playing football basketball they play some touch rugby so you you can use other skills to improve your level of fitness because uh, the center that really needs to be trained in sport and everything else when you're using your hand eye coordination is the cerebellum mm. and uh, being a neurosurgeon we know how intricate the cerebellum is and what it does uh, most specialties forget about that they look at cognition they look at the supratentorial but there's a huge cerebellum that needs to be awakened in our system and just today i realized one of my teachers was saying that he has a problem of ataxia ataxia is you can't balance yourself too mm. well and i did mention to him that i'll drop by and say hi to him so hopefully i may be able to help him and help the cerebellum because that's a huge part of the brain which tends to atrophy as we grow older a lot faster than other parts of the brain that's because we don't use those skills understood so i always tell people another thing that if you stop driving for example and you have a driver mm-hmm. then start developing some other skills because you've lost those skills for life So always remember that when you are challenged to do things, you're actually protecting your own brain. Understood. So try and keep doing things, and the more difficult things you tell yourself to do, at that age, 
you're actually protecting your own brain cells so we come back to your the most earliest part of mbbs days wanted to know how was your mbbs experience for me it was very tough for the for, for me it was very tough because i told my mom that if i played good cricket i'd even take a drop in and see how where my cricket career took me but i was little we had uh, very meager financial resources i'd lost my dad a few years before that so everything was uh, a challenge mm-hmm. and i didn't let my mind off cricket so i used to keep playing during my medical life i used to practice with the podar boys because they were the best team in intercollegiate cricket we had ravi shastri shishir hatangadi sharad pednekar all these giants of the game we used to practice in the morning at matunga gym i used to go there practice with these boys and then in the afternoon at 3 o'clock i'd be at the grand medical college ground which is now called the police gymkhana and practice with the boys there so i used to practice twice a day right through my medical career then i had to study and i also used to play a lot of tournaments so i used to miss a lot of work i've missed my internals i've got minus marks because of missing internals and got reprimanded very often but i didn't stop playing so that's 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 what my medical life was like <laughs> so uh, are there any things you wish you should have done more in your mbbs days i should have played more cricket <laughs> but uh, having said that i think i did play a lot of cricket and i did have all the opportunity to do what i had to do mm-hmm. but i missed my father and i didn't spend enough time with my family because of this life that i led these are the only things that i should have done Got spend time with my family one high one low point of your mbbs days if you can share with us yeah i i remember speaking to one of my professors in uh, the first mbbs okay and i said look uh, she said you missed your internals so i said ma'am i'm prepared to do them again hmm. i said sorry you cannot get that so i said okay i didn't mind you know i lost all the marks but little did i know that i would get negative marks so mm-hmm. i started my internals with minus 5 <laughs> and That's... i did pretty well in my final exams but i didn't get distinction because mm-hmm. i didn't get any internals which is very sad i i found that a very sad thing i would have been very happy to get distinction in one of my subjects in my first time mbbs so that was the low point i think so a high point i played uh, in a number of events for my college okay. as a medical student and we won the all india cricket number of times wow and uh, thankfully somebody has made a whatsapp group of all the cricketers <laughs> and i tried to post and stay in touch with them very very fond memories many happy times any advice for MBBS students out there which you would like to give students who are I think in MBBS most of them are reasonably sharp they know what they want to do i think first they should try to become emotionally stronger mm-hmm. by that i mean that they should be used to the tough life that is up ahead against them okay. they they need to be tough they need to be aware of different challenges that are there in modern society today and we read about them in the newspapers quite often sometimes difficult to cope difficult to understand but we still need to cope with that also i think it's extremely important for the youngsters to try and see that they should know where they're headed in mm. terms of their ultimate career because right. time is very limited and the knowledge is getting really extensive in a neurosurgical specialty for example it may be better for them to concentrate on one area mm. so that they can become experts at that and you know they can deliver 
their best mm. because it's uh, in my time i can still be a good micro surgeon i can be a good uh, spine surgeon i can be a good uh, say endoscopist or something like that but the skills are going to multiply so quickly and mm. gadgetry is going to be so important that unless one knows how to use these gadgets and deliver you're going to be left behind so i think it's going to be understood important for them to specialize sub specialize we call it sub specialize one last point from my side which i wanted to ask you was uh, you know today's families are spending a lot on their kids education especially if they want to do mbbs in private colleges and they end up spending more than what is required what's your take on that yeah i think uh, the sense of economics has changed a lot from our days and the days today uh, i'm sure big economists will will say yes to the same mm-hmm. scenario in whatever that they're doing but the study of medicine right has definitely become more expensive mm-hmm. so there are families that need to take loans there are families that need to take scholarships and things like that so and when you put that figure in front of you then your dynamics when you start your practice also change which is a little difficult for me to follow to, for me to understand or comprehend because my mbbs we were paying us meager i remember 235 45 rupees for 6 month fee wow then for my surgery it was 265 and we were earning as residents in those days so it was paltry and then my neurosurgery i got admission in a national institute i said shri chitra so there i had a tuition fee of 100 rupees in fact no the tuition fee was 25 rupees and the 100 rupee was the caution deposit which i got back when i finished <laughs> my course so there was practically nothing, nothing that i was yeah. paying right so and of course books were expensive but we were allowed to xerox them of course mm. today you don't need to get books you can probably buy them online or something like that but i don't know mm. so we had a lot of xeroxes whether it was allowed or not we don't know but we were handed xeroxes from our seniors so we didn't really to need to spend too much right and uh, so the expectations to earn anything did not happen in an immediate manner but just mm. imagine if i had a loan of say a couple of lakhs and i had to pay back in a certain period of time what would i do right so you're starting off with the back to the wall so i think it's difficult i'm not the best person to advise the younger generation i think somewhere somebody has to step in and say this is not the best way forward a line has to be drawn yes i don't think they can spend obnoxious amounts it goes into crores right now so i mean it's appalling according yeah. to me it's appalling yeah. somebody has to draw a line somewhere got it so i mean we come to a last part that's the rapid fire section where oh, wow. i ask you a few questions and sure. you have to answer as fast as possible sure uh, your favorite mbbs posting i like general surgery my first posting under general surgery a king a lion of the department of anatomy dr chatriwala enjoyed that posting thoroughly any particular reason why did he enjoy that posting so much he he was a remarkable man he used to put challenges and he used to always think of surgeons as lions mm. and uh, he said you have to be lion hearted you have to have eyes of an eagle hands of a lady lady's fingers he would call it the heart of a lion mm. and uh, I think he groomed us into the surgical specialty the way one should get groomed into. Okay. Um what's your comfort food? I'm not a foodie at all. My wife tells <laughs> tells my friends that if you give him boiled potatoes and boiled chicken he's happy. But, uh, But I'm sure there comfort, must be something I I like probiotics. I think uh, neurosurgeons can get stressed so 
I like uh, curds and I like uh, okay simple food just not nothing in particular okay. I, I I like uh, chocolates but I I'm controlled on my sugar habits though my wife would not agree completely and uh, I certainly don't think that I need any spirits of any any kind to put me into the mood <laughs> I'm I'm pretty okay all right uh, who's your inspiration and why well you are an inspiration for a lot of people no, not really. i'm I, sure i think I, i just like to lead a full life and i try my best to do that but uh, the important thing is they have changed over the years it's your father when you're a kid then you look at some of the famous cricketers that i was involved with and then there are some neurosurgeons but if you look at some some real history i look at uh, things that i've read about leonardo vinci who would be a painter he would be a sculptor he would be somebody who could devise gadgets and you know look at war victims he was ambidextrous he was good at fighting he lived a life which uh, one would be happy to even just imagine of he lived so, life yeah he lived life the way i i i assume i, I don't know i mean mm-hmm. what whatever little that i've seen and heard about him so and till today you have mysteries that shroud you know shroud his paintings his his work so that's that's amazing you know what intrigues me maximum is that they say that 90 or 95 or 99% of his work is unfinished that just shows you that he had no agenda mm. he just did it because it had to be done and if it didn't get completed it's okay so what you know just do things and i think that's the way one should live no agenda okay your favorite cricketing memory i think the, i remember hitting a couple of brilliant shots after i got a 100 in the intermedical cricket finals this was way back in this is uh, 1983 i think wow. 82 81 82 83 84 i played some of my best cricket hmm. as a medical student we won the talia khan shield for bombay gymkhana as all members i was in the team hmm. i sh- uh, shared the dais with a number of prominent cricketers of the country but i also very proud that bombajim won the talakan shield 84 i got a talakan shield 100 so i was proud of that and i think 82 83 i won the man of the match best batsman award in the intermedical finals where i scored 159 not out that was a knock that i really cherished they used to call me greg chapel in those days i had a similar flair i had a beard and i used to have that doffy Mm-hmm. cap only thing the color of the cap was maroon because i like the west indians a lot but i like the way the australians played their cricket in those years today i think uh, the sledge and it's not cricket anymore mm-hmm. so i wouldn't you know dwell on that too much your favorite pastime i like music a lot i i love jazz music i play the so piano. playing music so i prefer to play than to hear but i also hear a lot and okay. unfortunately with less time i like to hear it in the car okay any particular artist which you love to listen to recently i love that king cole if it's a song or a ballad he sings uh, melancholy songs so it's i like that king cole but i also like oscar peterson who's a pianist i like uh, arti shaw my dad's favorite clarinetist penny goodman pete fountain so i like and coleman hawkins on the tenor sax so i like uh, wind instruments i like jazz music okay swing jazz really. your favorite cricket ground to watch and to play well i like the bombay gymkhana without doubt it's the bombay gymkhana <laughs> pretty ground i played a lot of cricket got lots of hundreds hmm. 
and played with some of the giants of the game including gavaskar vik sarkar on that ground now this is my personal favorite one road trip you wish to do in the future oh, i want to drive to jaisalmer from mumbai I've jaisalmer from mumbai yeah i've driven to uh, kathmandu from mumbai i've driven to uh, kanyakumari from so mumbai. bombay to kathmandu and bombay to trip chennai i've done the north south <laughs> north north uh, north south of india okay i haven't done east west okay but we were told that the uh, east is a little difficult or dangerous to drive i don't know i've never been those roads but north south yes i've driven and i drive to goa very often whenever i get a chance to drive so that's the reason why i've done this project on those highways because they're difficult roads and a uh, lot of blind turns a lot of accidents mm. so the bombay goa highway but it's probably the most scenic view that i pictured in a long time and i love driving that road national highway 17 now renamed as 66 completely agree with you on that last one padding up as a batsman or scrubbing in as a surgeon out of the two which still excites you more today oh without doubt getting <laughs> my get the pads on and going to bat. as a cricketer absolutely <laughs> i mean that's your personality like right? you know which i had to make you choose between the two and but if i have to save a life then i can't disregard the fact that that's my profession that's right. my job i have to do that so i'll have to say no to a cricket match but if i'm given a choice and i can choose then definitely i'll go and play again and i'd like to open and uh, of course again there are parallels you wear gloves when you have to bat you wear gloves when you have to operate at the end of the day you look after your kit you <laughs> start oiling your bat and clean it up same with the instruments again so pretty much very similar <laughs> that's about it totally from my side on this podcast it was lovely having you on this podcast uh, i think i've spoken so much that uh, people get bored no i mean me. there's too many topics to speak on but this is like one of the first which we'll speak on and it's been great uh it's a broad insight in various aspects of your life from teaching to neurosurgery to music to driving uh i mean to cricket and a lot more i mean there's a lot more to explore with you and we've already spoken about doing different podcasts and different like you are a true bombay boy so uh would love to like you know uh, do one in the car uh, you love your cars yeah. uh, you also have a vintage car yeah. so a, a lot of more things so this was one of the first ones and it's a privilege to have you on this podcast and Bye. thank you for your time i know you don't do this uh, often of tra- i mean forget the podcast just traveling to this side of town and because you're n- not just fending us but because of your schedule and everything so it means a lot to me to us and uh, to our listeners and thank you for this thank you for the opportunity and uh, would love to have you again on the podcast soon thank you i mean i've never heard someone speak so so many praises in, <laughs> in one breath but i must be grateful to you i'm happy that i can share some of my ideas and thoughts absolutely and i certainly hope that our listeners would be happy to share some of my views okay. absolutely I, i'm going to share the feedback with you soon as soon as i get start getting them thank you so much dr sir thank you very much thank you god bless thank you how was it absolutely great I think I didn't give you much time to speak. No, that's about, I mean I didn't want to speak itself. I mean there I are know, few I, there are few topics which I had which to skip. Not, yeah, skip because uh, I saw that. But things flowed like you said you wanted it to flow which 